0: Hi, and welcome back to Linga Brutalica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host Wes Robertson. Hello. Today we have with us Joe and Philly of Gamma Bomb. Hi, guys.
1: Hi. How's it going?
2: Good. How are you guys? Good, good. Very
0: well. So just to begin, how would you describe Gamma Bomb's music uh, to someone who hasn't heard it before? Uh, so Wikipedia and Encyclopedia Metallum have you down as thrash metal, uh, and you've called yourself thrash to the core in your own lyrics. Uh, so is this your chosen label?
1: Well, yeah, it would be would be a bit far off the mark if we didn't consider that art. <laughs> 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 After writing all them songs with thrashing the title and, you know, releasing all them <laughs> albums. Uh, but uh, yeah, you never know. You could sleepwalk into the wrong genre, I suppose. Yeah, we're we're a thrash band. I suppose um, when you get into the cork sniffing aspect of your own music about eight albums in, 21 years in, you probably start saying to each other, well, this song's a bit more, this record's a bit more of a heavy metal record, or oh, this one's a bit more know hard rock or whatever
2: but yeah Joe we're a thrash band right yeah we are a thrash band um and yeah I think anyone who isn't a fan specifically of that kind of stuff is probably gonna like have a harder time with us like I think that people who like machine head or and don't like anthrax or something would probably verge on the side of being like this is weird you know very
1: specific yeah but then like you know people who like death would probably like us do you know what I mean I not on, yeah on, no I, I've and been a... I like definitely like yeah you that know like sense. a lot of the yeah, a lot a lot of these genre distinctions don't really mean to anything to anyone outside heavy metal heavy mm-hmm. metal is a librarian's art form you know it's, it's for dorks like us who are very like oh this band seemed to have a little bit of brutal slam death and they're kind of like of the new york hard but you know like we, we tend to make these distinctions to ourselves but in the broader world of creativity people just go oh that's heavy metal music but yeah um like we're a thrash band and i think more than that we're an irish thrash band which i think actually colors everything mm-hmm. colors everything that we do so before you
3: um all started this band how did you feel about lyrics and metal like did you care we've had people that grew up poring over lyric sheets and people who just didn't pay any attention and only kind of listened picking up what they could where where do
2: you all stand in this uh sort of dichotomy
1: what was your background on joe before you started writing
2: I think that probably growing up, uh, probably, I don't know if you would describe Queen as heavy metal, but they had like a lot of their 80s hits had what I would describe as like hard rock kind of lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like I kind of grew up with that kind of stuff. I got really into Ugly Kid Joe when I was a kid and things like Ugly Kid Joe and the Undertones really sort of informed me and Philly and Luke when we started the band that um, uh, lyrics didn't have to be serious, you know? Mm. And like, uh, yeah. actually, before me and Philly even picked up an instrument, um, for some reason in my house, there was a massive surplus of Christmas cards. So me and Philly, when we were about 14, would go and get high and then go and sit and write fake thrash lyrics in these uh, Christmas we were, cards. I think we were about
1: 16. We weren't quite that young, but we did. Yeah, we used to have all these blank Christmas cards lying around and we would go to Joe's garage, where Joe is right now. And yeah, we would get stoned and we would like write. And it was almost like, it's very innocent now when you think about it. It's very sweet, actually. We would sit up there like two little nerds and you would, you would be like giggling to yourself writing in the card and then you would hand it to the other person and they would read it out and both scream laughing. Like, and really, stupid, like really really stupid stuff like, you know, um, <clears throat> songs about goats, like kind of taking the piss out of the Megadeth lyrics that we were reading. Um, and there you go. That kind of carried on straight into the band trying to make each other laugh. But yeah, when I was a kid, I was exposed to a lot of different music. I'm the youngest, uh, with my mum and dad, I'm the youngest of seven kids. And um, I, I grew up, you know, kind of rummaging through the older brother's, uh, like, bedrooms to find music and stuff, <clears throat> and other contraband. And uh, I remember finding the double cassette of Life After Death in a drawer under the bed. And I looked at the cover and I was familiar with Eddie. I don't think you could grow up in the 1980s without seeing Eddie. So I kind of knew what Eddie was and I put it on. I remember the song was Phantom of the Opera. And I kind of was like listening to the, the riff and being like, this is mad. How can this be a riff in a song? You know, I was used to guitar riffs, but this just seemed hyperactive. Like so many notes, you could almost not make out what was happening. And then I opened the booklet and I read the lyrics and it was almost like a click in my brain. I can remember it very distinctly. I was like, oh, it's not serious. And mm-hmm. that made a very big impact on me. It was like, this is, they're, they're playing around. It's not necessarily a joke. The lyrics aren't a joke, but it's a story. It's it's a silly story, kind of. It's like a horror movie in words. And that had a huge impact I that this was play, that this was fun, that it wasn't taking itself seriously. I absolutely loved that. And I've got to be honest, I struggle to see very, I, I struggle to see many heavy metal bands who actually have serious lyrics at the end of the day you know, from an intellectual or or an emotional perspective. I know there are people who take the lyrics very seriously and there are a few bands that I like who do, but like the vast majority of heavy metal, it's more about being expressive and imaginative. You know, it's more about like big feelings and big stories and crazy ideas or atmosphere. Um, And I really like that about about the genre. Obviously, you know, when you're talking about music, like say Dylan or something else, there's a lot more depth usually um, to lyrics. But yeah, like, with metal, for me, it was like it was always about the enjoyment of the kind of crazy aspect of the, uh, or the imaginative aspect of it. And then when me and Joe started writing them, writing them for no purpose other than to make each other laugh, uh, that was that was a big driver. And so once the band started, you know, we 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 write a lot of songs that have a bit of <clears throat> humor or a bit of a skewed kind of attitude to the lyrics. And I think it it just seemed real to us to do that. It would have been embarrassing to kind of turn around to the lads and go, "This song about my feelings." Okay, I'm going to get upset. You know, it's just—it's
0: not who we are. (laughs) You know. So, do you feel like that kind of like humorous uh theming of uh, metal lyrics is something that distinguishes metal lyrics from non-metal lyrics? Like, do you think like because of its you know typically humorous like bent, like you can tell the difference between lyrics of your average metal band and lyrics of your average non-metal band?
1: I don't know about that. Um. To My mind, humor is the thing that's kind of shot through all guitar music, all through all rock music for sure. You know, mm. like, the, like, you know, Chuck Berry, my ding and uh, you know, riding along in the automobile, and you know what I mean? Even like Rocket 88 has like joke Clerks, and that Hound Dog is a joke song, you know. Um, to me, it's it probably comes from a black American vaudeville tradition that that came over into rock music, rock and roll music, and it's in heavy metal, but Joe, you know, I wouldn't say like. I wouldn't say
2: the average heavy metal band are writing lyrics that they're knowingly being funny about. No. I'm like, I think if we're like kind of honest, writing unbelievable lyrics like the Beatles or Bob Dylan and stuff like that can be very, very, very difficult. And um, there's, there can be a lot of generic lyrics. Like, you know, I make demos for bands and like there's a million bands who come in and the lyrics are like back to the pain or whatever, like, you know, so... I, like, I think from the get-go, we were very much like, right, the song should be about stuff. The way Iron Maiden songs were about historical things or, you know, cool movies and things like that. Mm. And that just seemed, seemed like a, a no-brainer. But yeah, like I think that you do see it in other music. Like Dylan, Al Stewart, there's a whole bunch of people who've written brilliant historical songs or songs with, like, witty, funny lyrics in them as well, you know, but that's a kind of very different, that's more highbrow. This is more like, you know, not quite pie in the face, but
1: that's pop. It's it's kind of pop culture is a big part of it, you know. Um I think heavy metal came about <clears throat> heavy metal came about, but after the big explosion in pop culture in the fifties and sixties, you know, we had teenage culture and you had alternative culture emerging and you know, um I think pop culture has always played a massive part in Black Sabbath are named after a horror movie. Judas Priest are named after a Bob Hillen song. We're already at the start, we were already at a second or third generation of pop eating itself as they say you know so i think like pop culture movies music video games the context that we live in um media wise is always a big part of what we do and i think it's a big part of loads of other bands like evil write songs about movies all the time anthrax did it as well metallica have songs about movies and the songs about movies you know like it's it's kind of it's in it's in the ether there in that way we're quite actually quite typical in that we do that you know <laughs> Like, it's quite difficult to pick a cool film and write a song based on it, you know, in this genre. So
3: when you think about, you know, uh, heavy or extreme metal lyrics that you really enjoy, do you lean more towards stuff that is either humorous or kind of a bit self-aware of what it is? Or is there something else that also attracts you to, to like, when you when you think of a good uh, lyric, what what kind of goes into making that good rather than just bad or mid you know something i've heard before
1: well i suppose the highfalutin answer is if we're talking about lyrics of any kind the answer is something startling and true you know Mm. something that you hear and you're like wow there's actually a bit of truth in that and sometimes that can be a heavy metal thing where you just hear it and you're like it's an unusual observation maybe sometimes like one of my favorite heavy metal lyrics is from elimination by overkill he says Spending all you, all you had and wishing for a little more. If I'm staring at the ceiling, then I must be laying on the floor. And there's just something really nice. There's like a, there's something kind of true in it. It's like a weak constant want. And he sounds confused and he sounds out of it. And you can picture it in your head. And it sounds real. I think that's amazing. Like, you know, like Bob Dylan, last night I danced with a stranger. She just reminded me you're the one. You're like, it actually, it sounds like you're hearing the truth from somebody. Like they're in yeah. their guts out or something. I think, you know, Like every other piece of art, when you see something that reflects something real about life as you experience it or as the vast majority of people experience it, that makes you go, wow, this is important or this is good or I remember this. I think then in metal more specifically, because the music is generally fast or aggressive, there's not a lot of room in heavy metal compared to, let's say, folk music. It's it's well and good for Nick Drake to have very meaningful lyrics because he has a very slow song to sing over. In in the likes of Trash metal, you've this, so you have to be very concise. And um, other weird technical stuff comes into it, like the syllables that you use, like the literally the sounds. Um, Domo, our guitar player, is excellent at writing lyrics that use all the right syllables. You know, he can give you the correct pa ba ma pa at the right moment. And I think when I hear that, that's. That's also
2: really good, Joe. What's your perspective on the heavy metal lyrics? What appeals to you? <laughs> like going back to your question, a lot of the lyrics that you see these days are kind of informed by what we would call like kind of metal English, which is like you know mm. the original bands like uh, Sodom and Destruction and Sepulture were using, and like in a lot of the cases they couldn't speak English or they were using okay. the sword it you know, get yeah. the um. Get the lingo together, but uh, what I'm saying is that I think a lot of the people who are writing lyrics in that over nowadays are doing it from a kind of it's not disingenuous. They're they're doing it in a way where I think they're taking it more seriously than the people had intended it to be taken mm. in the first place. You know? so you you definitely see a lot of that in terms of like lyrical content for bands. You do see bands using a lot more kind of like emotional lyrics now. Like, I think in the 80s, probably writing songs like In My Darkest Hour was kind of the exception, you know? People tend to write songs about good times and stuff like that. And it was, you know, into the 90s now where you start to see songs more about people's feelings and stuff, you know, predominantly in lyrics.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: So do you think metal is, like, a bit more comfortable, like,
3: expressing feelings in 2023 than nineteen eighty? Yeah, and I couldn't I tell you.
1: So. The, I couldn't tell you what the broad swathe of heavy metal is doing right now. <laughs> 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 I really don't know. It seems to me that it's sort of there's a panoply of stuff going on. There's just crazy amount things happening in metal now. There's extremely flippant, fun stuff. There's very grave, serious, dress up with a candelabra with all the wings all over you, kind of satanic stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I honestly don't really know. Like the further on we get into this, as well, the less concerned we are about what people are doing around mm-hmm. us, and we just become more focused on what satisfies us you know what satisfies us creatively what's a cool idea and um how do we work together
3: you know <clears throat> so just for you as a band then what would you say is like maybe the biggest change in how you all approach lyric writing now compared to say your, your first album
1: what do you think chad
2: i think like probably at the start there was like a a, a big huge list of ideas of stuff that we were very adamant that we want to write songs about you know Zombie, Roger Murrow movies, like Superman films. And this kind of went on and then it started becoming more nuanced and it started being about things like toys that we used to play with when we were growing up and things like that. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's it certainly changed. One of the things I love about the band is that there's constantly been a very like collaborative vibe about the lyrics and it's mattered to everyone. There's a lot of bands where people will be like, I don't really care about the lyrics or the lyrics mean something yeah. only to the singer you know and it's never really been that way with us it's always been something where it's like cool this is an idea that everyone can get on board with and everyone is more than welcome to like pitch in if they like it you know
1: yeah I think on the uh, yeah on the first album as Joe said you know we were finding our feet this was a new thing to us we were like we might never get to make another record and it was like two years worth of music at that point maybe three years worth of music that we'd written so it was very much finding our feet, but like exploring the idea that you could be funny, that you could write about movies that you love, that you could reference pop culture that you like. And I think that that was the deal at that time. It was just kind of like a, a big shopping spree, you trying to grab all the references and all the touch points for the metal that you like. Um, whereas I think as time went on, we've definitely become more considered in how a writer lurks. You develop, like it's a bit of a highfalutin thing to say, but you develop a bit of craft about it. So, you know, with the new album, whether you're writing a song that's like a political message or, you know, it's a story, like a ghost story or something, as you might do in our songs, you spend a lot more time thinking about which words you're choosing. You spend a lot more time about sort of getting the message right. And you get you get good at that over time, you know? Obviously you lose a bit of the freedom. You probably had when you first start, I think it was much easier to just write a song in two minutes back then. But um, I think the craft gets better. And, you know, people, people who like our band do like the lyrics and they find them smart. And, you know, that was, you know, speaking about lyrics that he loved, I've always thought Motorhead's lyrics are amazing because Lemmy was, he was definitely a guy who had, like, his attitude and was very cool and stuff, but he he never hid the fact that he was an intelligent person, you know, mm-hmm. that he was a, a certain degree of education, you know, and who had, like, a, an intellectual way of looking at the world. And when he spoke in interviews and when he wrote lyrics, he was very forthright about that. He didn't dumb himself down. I think a lot of other people, like, let's give an example here, Phil Salmo. Phil and Salmo's family own a big posh Italian restaurant in the town where he's from. He is not <laughs> from he is not from the skids. And is a massive Italian restaurant. His family are rich. He's rich. He went to a really good school. But he dumbs himself down for the music. Do you know what I mean? Dumbs mm-hmm. himself down for the music. Um and I've always admired people who didn't do that, who are just real about who they are. You know, maybe, maybe deep down he is a and he loves doing it. Oh. Good <laughs> <clears throat> you know, but uh sure. <laughs> you know, You'll never hear this anyway. Yeah, no, there there <laughs> goes our there goes our uh, uh, Pantera interview. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he'll come on just maybe he'll come on just to talk about what a perfect I am. Who knows? But yeah, like I, <laughs> I think we've always not we, I, we'd never shy away from having a, a sort of a, a bit of a brain about what we're doing, even if what we're doing is pretending to be stupid.
0: Well, before we start diving into those uh, lyrics and themes, uh, we did actually, what well, we usually ask um, where a given band stands on the perennial uh, metal lyrics, pure fantasy or, or reflective of the personal question. Um, but your lyrics clearly involve, uh, you know, a lot of clear statements of opinion over the years, as you've you know, kind of alluded to. Um, So we instead wanted to ask about a tweet that you made about your lyrics uh, in April uh, of this year. Uh, In this tweet. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Don't worry. worry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, in this particular tweet, I can't speak for for others, but uh, you wrote, interesting fact, uh, most metal people who criticize us for being unserious or goofy uh, didn't grow up during a civil war like we did. Uh, go ahead and write your wee songs about hatred and murder. Must be great to be a tourist. Uh, can you elaborate um, about uh, how this upbringing affected your approach to lyrics? Uh, and was this something that you kind of considered and affected your lyrics from the very beginning, your very first release?
1: That's a tricky one, isn't it, Joe? Because I don't know if we've written many, many, we haven't really written any songs directly. Out the troubles, have we really?
2: I don't think <clears throat> we've written a song. But, uh, well, no, we have a song called 2016 back in twenty six. Yeah, but that was more of an
1: Irish identity, kind of a yeah, like the revolutionary kind of aspect
2: what I would say, like Philly can defend his tweet thus, but what I would say is that growing up in a kind of post conflict society, it's kinda of, we we were teenagers whenever it went from being people being murdered like very regularly on the streets in Northern Ireland to the peace accord and stuff. So we saw kind of society changing, and I think it was something that started going into our lyrics. Where I suppose I guess in the mid two thousands, when we started becoming more politically aware, and started seeing more, you know, alt right kind of stuff, because it felt like really if we were going to write lyrics about Northern Ireland and our personal experience, that would only really be reflective of people from Northern Ireland, you know. Whereas if we're going to write a political song. We thought it would probably be better to do it on a bigger scale and something that we could see was affecting everywhere like fascism or whatever you know
1: and i think when the band started to there was sort of i think we actually did talk about it there was a bit about this is not a great medium for very serious messages about the thing that was still so raw you know and i don't think we were like we're gonna write songs about the troubles because we were like the music didn't feel serious enough and we had other songs that were funny and stuff so we were kind of as Joe said, shooting for, like, more broad targets. Um, I think what I was saying with that tweet, was well, there is a there is a great degree of luxury in being from all these other places that didn't have the insane problems where we come from. You know, like, it, it, I've always found it a bit of a laugh that nice middle-class boys from Sweden were stabbing each other and burning down churches where there's fucking, or nowhere or whatever, where there's nothing wrong, where nothing is wrong. Since the end of World War II, nothing has been going wrong, right? And, like, they're all well-fed well-educated Protestant boys who go mad doing this stuff. Whereas the place we were from, Joe's house was blown. Joe's first memory is his house being blown, right? You know, like, you know, our our lives are actively affected by it. And I think to some extent, whether it was an active avoidance of trying to fucking deal with it because we were trying to grow up out of it, or whether it was just a refusal to get too involved in it because it, it didn't seem like our music was a good vehicle for discussing that we just decided not to not to lean into that and then move away from it you know um and i think being unserious might in some ways be us coping with that i don't know um we're not going to put ourselves out there as being like we're the voice of a generation on this because we're not like and i don't think i don't think Irish culture has done a very good job of assimilating it yet either to be honest northern Irish culture um there is you know now Joe, there's bands like kneecap and stuff who are like a hip-hop group and they kind of come from like a Catholic side of the tracks. And their stuff's quite like aggressively Republican. But all those lads were born after 1998. So they didn't live in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think what we have is you have Dairy Girls and you have kneecap and you have stuff like this. But I don't know if, like maybe Dairy Girls is probably the best effort most in Irish culture has made to address this so far. But we don't feel like we're the people to bring that forward. Or not at that time. However, we are and always have been happy to talk about it and happy to talk about the sense of identity that we have because I think our, me and Joe particularly, our sense of Irish identity is quite different from the other lads in the band because they're from the Republic and their experience of Irishness um, was never under any question growing up whereas ours was constantly in an environment where half of people weren't Irish or didn't identify as Irish and some of them hated that you were Irish, (laughs) You (laughs) you know, so i don't know maybe maybe that's what i was trying to say it's like we literally grew up in a war so don't expect us to write about skulls blood death and violence because that was literally the experience of everyone around us Mm. you know leave that to the anselmo's of the world (laughs) yeah okay he's not coming on the podcast at all now
3: (laughs) well the the lead into humor is something we want to talk about as well because um as your tweet references, you've long invoked humor in your lyrics, um, and wondered, when you first started early on, did you have any trepidations about this? Uh, like, you mentioned that there's been, the tweet itself mentions backlash. Did you expect backlash for leaning into kind of a, a humorous vibe on on
1: not all, but many songs? I don't know. I was probably in a bad mood going looking for fights right in that tweet, to be honest, because we don't, we don't often get a lot of groups, do we do
2: not really I, I suppose it's something that like probably we like if we read it in a review or something like that where they'll say yeah all these songs are about you know mm. pizzas and stuff like that but i think uh in terms of humor like because again me and philly had kind of grown up with like a big sense of humor and whenever our first guitar player luke joined the band he had really a very similar kind of sense of humor to us um and like he 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 kind of, from the get-go, was like, right, okay, if we're going to write a song called Hell Trucker or Zombie Command, you know, we can't, we'll can't, have to do it slightly so- tongue-in-cheek. We're not going to do it like Death would have written a song of that mm. nature, you know? So, yeah, but like yeah. that's from my point of view. I think from, from the get-go there was never any consideration of should the lyrics be, like, Slayer and just be serious and stuff like that? It was always going to be like, no, there should be kind of... There should, be, should go- be, like... Not good, like but, like... Of you of. Know, you know and like I guess the the way we would sort of describe our alerts is they're always really really well informed like they're really really well researched pieces of nerdy history that we're commenting on like you know
1: yeah and you know I think with us yeah sometimes you'll catch a comment from people bands do read the things people say about them on the internet They, they do do you know Steve Harris reads everything pretty much everything people say about Iron Maiden Steve Harris reads that and uh, and he gives out about it, which I think is a mistake. I don't think reading it is a mistake. I think giving out about it is a mistake because there's nothing you can do about other people's attitudes. Sometimes mm. you do catch people down on the band. Um, but there's two things to that. It doesn't matter because there are people who aren't doing it themselves. It's not like I've caught Paul Dylan going, these guys absolutely suck. Um, and <laughs> one of my musical heroes or whatever. Like it's not Springsteen ragging on you, it's just some dork. Um, and the other thing is, I think the vast majority... Of people who don't like what we do just don't listen to us which is why we're not metallica i think we're not metallica because we act like this <laughs> i think if our songs were like hey hey one two three here we go we'd probably be a much bigger band um or really serious or whatever so you know uh i don't hold that against people that's part of the path we chose you know <laughs> so that's where we're at <laughs>
0: So we did look at the Reddit discourse uh, about Gamma Bomb on Twitter. And while the vast majority of discussions, (laughs) well, it it is mostly like very positive, um, but we did notice, you know, the kind of takes that you're talking about, you know, calling your lyrics, you know, too silly, too goofy or whatever. But we're more interested in like, where does this idea come from? Like, why do you think that there are people out there arguing that, um, metal can't or shouldn't be, you know, goofy or silly or humorous, given that you know there's a long history um, of humorous lyrics in the genre, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, well, obviously, I think... we don't agree with that.
1: Go um...
2: on ahead. Oh no, I'm interested in what you think. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say is, I think that with heavy metal, you can sometimes see a propensity for people to be in uh, like a stage of arrested adolescence when it comes to musical snobbery now what usually happens people is the older they get the wider the sort of range of music that they listen to becomes and then stop stop becoming obsessed or getting annoyed by what what kind of bands songs are about you know but I think with heavy metal sometimes you'll meet people who are in their 50s who only listen to one certain type of music and still hate listening to Bruce Springsteen or something like that and that's fine but I wouldn't be surprised to see that those people who have been extremely sheltered in the terms of the lyrics and music they listen to not like an Irish lyrics, you know.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me I'm a bit, froggy.
2: <laughs> yeah, one. I
1: think as well. While the internet has been amazing for bringing us closer to other people, it has also created the false appearance that all opinions are valid and also that all debate is valid. You know what we're kind of getting into when we're saying like, oh, what do we think of people saying this on Reddit? What you're really seeing is you're seeing hundreds of people's discrete opinions that otherwise would just exist whenever they're having a pint with somebody, but they're written on the internet and that makes it feel like these things are really real and valid and that they'll last forever. But the truth is that's utterly ephemeral. Like, Loads of people have nice things to say about us. Lots of people have uh, things to say about us that aren't nice. And then billions of other people have no fucking idea we exist and never will. And that's fine. So like, what we're trying to do with this is, number one, we're trying to do something that satisfies us. I think it is ultimately a selfish kind of project. It's a thing that we like to do. It makes us feel good. It lets us express ourselves creatively. And it's part of our friendship and our relationship. Um. So that's the number one thing. Number two is we're trying to do that for the people who like it. And then three below that is everyone else. And that doesn't matter because they are, at best, people who might find out and get on board. <coughs> but everyone else... If they don't, it doesn't really matter. I think like years ago when the band first started, I would get in arguments with people on the internet and stuff like an idiot because I too was falling into this perception trap that this was real and meaningful. But it's not, you know? um, that's just It's just talk on the internet. And, you know, it's very important to remember as well in life, uh, like anyone who makes an effort and goes and does something, whether that's making dinner for five people or whether that's making records or making movies, the person who does stuff, is the one who's open to criticism. Yeah. This dinner's too cold. I don't like your music. Your movie sucks. The people who do nothing are the ones who are there giving out the criticism. Do you know what I mean? There's a reason it's not Bob Dylan saying this band absolutely sucks because he's doing stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, He's too busy being good at doing his thing. It's people on the internet who are saying that. So it's very important to remember that one of the side effects of being a person who actually tries to achieve things or make things is you get grief, you know, not you can't take a person.
3: Well, all right. That's great. So with all that set up, let's kind of move into um your lyrics specifically. Because we mentioned uh, you know, these themes of humor and stuff, but we want to talk about um, well, the things you've actually done with that. Um, and we actually want to talk about uh gore for a second, because you mentioned, you know, earlier that you don't have a lot of violent, kind of gory songs, but your earlier albums did contain a number of tracks which do discuss gore, generally in the form of zombies eating people. Uh, as in the lines, uh, zombies are drinking our guts tonight, or disembrained bodies coming back from the dead, disembowel the hands, take your brains from your head. Uh, and there are also a few slasher film-style lyrics, like swing from a string from a blood-soaked hand, victims at random smacked for a thrill. Uh, and you have songs like Return to Blood Castle, which note that there are Zavada brains and it's brain-mashing day, or the cannibals are in the streets, all flesh must be eaten, which is unsurprisingly a, a gore-centered song. Uh, but since <laughs> 2005... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. has a line about your foot comes out of your mouth, which I think is one of the best lyrics I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what yeah. are your favorite so, lyrics that is also yeah pretty gory. Uh, but we well, don't yeah. oh, sorry. Right, go ahead. Uh, or... <clears throat> no, 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 go ahead. It was just it's such an avalanche of insane phraseology. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Yeah try to so say we do kind of we do kind of overload but uh, since
3: 2015's untouchable glory uh well, you do have some discussion of violence there's no mention of explicit gore organs or brains uh, on your album, indeed, after 2008, Citizen Brain, the word "zombie" never again appears in your lyrics, and your newest album doesn't really have any violent content on it at all. Uh, certainly, in comparison to earlier work. So, wondering, is there uh, this kind of move away from discussions of horror movie content, if we can call it that, something that was conscious, or is this just kind of happened? Is this the what, first time this has come up? See what
1: you've done here, Wes. Is this is the equivalent of going for dinner with a couple and then bringing up that time one of them cheated, right? <laughs> because. Joe has been given out to me for about 15 years that there's no zombie songs, right? And he keeps saying, what are the zombie songs? What gives a zombie song? And I'm always like, write one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, there's definitely less uh, of that. We were doing that generally because it's funny. I think a lot of those lyrics you just read out are ridiculous, you know, like stringing from a string. Domo, one time Domo started saying, you know what the most dangerous thing in the world is? A hammer on a string because you can't predict where it's going to go. And we used to get drunk and talk to him about this, and he would go hammer on a string, most dangerous thing, or swing around, you might hit yourself. <laughs> so we'd play the song, you know? And this um, disemboweled hands, how can your hands be disemboweled? There's no organs in your hands. True. You know, uh, disembodied brains, is it? I think it's something like, like yeah. just thinking of- So a lot of it is just, a lot of that stuff was just like, okay, let's, let's do 500, present insanity with these ideas, you know? Uh, Joe, what, Joe, what are your thoughts on this, and why do you think we become massive whistle- <laughs> Um.
2: Yeah, well, like, it's so weird trying to use the word maturity on the band, isn't it, like, you know? That's uh, <laughs> farm. I know. But so, like, I, I guess part of it is that there was a lot of that kind of stuff that we kind of felt like we had, like, covered, you know, like, we wrote quite a few songs specifically about Romero movies or like, you know, these specific horror movies that we were really, really into at the time. and still love, but like, I guess like our lyrics kind of changed a little bit around, yeah, around like maybe 2015, where we tried to start writing songs that were a little more kind of y, you know, and less about specific horror movies or specific things. Cause all those things like zombie blood nightmare, you know, the cannibals Are In The Streets, Zombie Creep and Flesh, uh, Zombie Command, those are all about specific films. And even on the new album, there's a song called The Living Dead in Beverly Hills and it's about a specific film as well, you know, so like we do do it, but like I think probably it's over to Philly because really a lot of the, in the past, maybe me and Luke would bring songs, say let's write a song about, you know, this horror movie or whatever. And um I think nowadays the sort of, Song suggestions. I still do that. Like a, there was a song about Terminator 2 that I did for the last mm-hmm. record, and there's one about uh Goodfellas and stuff. But yeah, I think Philly probably changed more the his approach to writing horror. And you still yeah, do I write guess. horror, don't you? Yeah,
1: I guess so. So like from, from quite early on, from like Citizen Brain and Hammer Slam or one of those songs you referenced there, what we were doing was making up a story. It was as if this is a horror film that never existed, you know? Um and I think that was the germ of what's kind of happening now it was like okay you don't have to write a film about read a song about robocop because you know there's that but you can also make up your own you can do three witches you can do hammer slammer you can do you know all these different songs that are just purely made from Holocaust cloth they're just imaginary and i think i got more and more interested in this <clears throat> like some politics stuff some um like maybe some real life stuff and then you know, a lot of the more of these imaginary stories. I find it more satisfying because you can kind of just build them totally from scratch yourself and you can really choose what kind of imagery goes in them and that kind of thing. And I think as well, um getting a bit older, I think Overkill and Judas Priest made a massive impact on me as I got older as well, just in terms of how they wrote the lyrics. And a lot of their songs, much like Thin Lizzy, they're not necessarily a, not really about a thing. They're just kind of about the main character being cool or whatever, you know. And I think there's a real art form. I wanted to try to crack that over the course of a few albums. You know, like Judas Priest is like word jigsaws. They literally used to use a source, Alfred did, to find words and put them all together really cool ways. And I like that. So I did that with lots of music. And then the overkill thing, or the Nizzy thing, where it's more about attitude <clears throat> and more about using a new character, I did that as well because it was just really digging that. Whereas now, I suppose, those things get in the way of. The earlier thing, and it's, the thing with the zombies, as you pointed out, we're having a, an album with zombies on it in like 15 years. I felt like we did it so much. Mm. On some level, I was maybe worried that people were just gonna go with that zombie man. But of course, we, we wrote those songs back at the start when we were cute and young, and people still talk about it and we're still associated with it, so it's there. I've no doubt we probably will again, write songs about zombies, but it just felt, it just felt so insanely covered. <laughs> That are kind of needed something else, you know. Yeah, to keep you keep you engaged. Well, Joe mentioned the new
3: track, um, uh, Living Dead Beverly Hills, which we actually was our, our next question. Uh, we missed that that was from a movie, uh, but we didn't know, like we, we interpreted it with lines like, you know, cadaver boys, bikini girls being kind of a metaphor for rich people who are quote getting old but look the same. Uh through you mentioned diet fads, plastic surgery, and a hot tub filled with boiling blood. Um, and we're so we're wondering, like, first off, are we were we just completely off and this is actually just all from a movie that we missed? Or are we right that we thought this was kind of um using the Living Dead theming as social critique? And if we are right in that, was there any of that in the previous stuff, or were was your early songs about zombies more just about? Zombies, if anything, is just about you know zombies.
1: I would say the easy answer to the second part is the earlier stuff was just about zombies, generally speaking. There wasn't much like, although you could get highbrow and say zombies themselves are like a construct, George Romero used them to to be satirical or whatever. Um, I think Joe, we were pretty straight with the original songs, weren't we? Like, it was just about how cool zombies are,
2: yeah. That that was pretty much it. And again, it was because all those formative songs were about specific movies that we were like, right, okay, where's yeah, I think probably by the time you know, some things like Zombie Blood Nightmare and the cannibals in the streets and things like that, or especially like We Are Going to Eat You, songs like that, like it We Are Going to Eat You is not about cannibalism really, is it? It's about, you know, society from my yeah, point of view. That's it. Yeah,
1: we're we're going to eat you is about um inequality, the growing the growing inequality gap, you know, the global one percent and all this kind of thing. Um with uh, you, your your other question that you asked us about Living Dead in Beverly Hills, a very intelligent question about quite a fun, silly song, so thank you for that. So the the song title comes from Death Becomes Her um, and I love that movie. I watched it all the time growing up and I turned my head right around the back. That's what happens to Meryl Streep in it. Um, you know, Streep in the Streets, Goldie in the Sack, that's referring to the two ladies in the movie. But then, yeah, what I was kind of doing with the rest of it was it was kind of mashed together of the the kind of excessive artificial glamour of Hollywood living, which is what the film is about, with kind of sinister, morbid, you know, rotten kind of ideas, like, as you say, uh, cadaver boys instead of cabana boys, and, you know, um, you know, muscle, muscle Mary, and you know, shed my flesh, but don't touch the hair, like vanity combined with being rotten, which I think is obviously what the theme of the film is, it's about kind of like, at, at what price use, um so yeah like it definitely does have that to it there's 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 no misreading in seeing the song <laughs> that way because it is um because the film is about that and the song is about the film so it definitely has the same thing if i've if i've achieved having the same tone as the movie death becomes or we've really done something right here lads you know this is exceptional
0: <laughs> good oh well about the same time that the zombies disappear from your albums we couldn't help but notice uh the sudden appearance of ninjas uh, because there's the 2009's uh, last week always, week, don't week two a bit of Well, I, yeah, I that's, that's how it goes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the right. ninjas
3: don't to show up like that. You know? Maybe they were always on their prior albums too.
0: Maybe. Well, yeah. There's uh, 2009's "Last Ninjas Unite" references uh, to like a ninja school. Um, on 2013's uh, "We Started the Fire," 2015's uh, "Ninja uh, Ninja Untouchables, and 2020's "Judo Killer." Uh, and these tracks uh, even sometimes include Japanese vocabulary items uh, such as kunoichi, uh, oniwa and uh, shinigami. Um. So, what led to this interest in ninjas as a theme?
1: Well, obviously, we're from we're from the decade of ninjas, you know. Not, not since the Tokugawa Shogunate has there been such interest in ninjas as in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, you know, we're an <laughs> Joe I did not expect to a Tokugawa
3: Shogunate to be- mentioned in, in this interview.
1: Well, you know, you have to have an advanced uh, knowledge of uh, Japanese history. if you want to make heavy metal records. So we were always into it. Uh, you know, uh, in my opinion, Joe, it's Domo. Right?
2: Yeah. Okay. Mm. We, me and Philly, had uh, been huge fans. Again, going back to whenever we were writing uh, lyrics on Christmas cards as kids, uh, we would write songs about uh, the bad guys from Enter the Dragon and things like that. So we'd always been fans. And when Domo had joined the band, he was obviously a big fan as well. And he brought the song uh, Last Ninjas Unite to the band, you know. And the lyrics are really great because there's, there's so many lines in it. For me, the nuance, one of the lines is, uh, his pocket is full of crickets. And I was all like, <laughs> I didn't get it. Well, that's because he, he walks with the silence. He brings the silence with him everywhere he goes. Like, but yeah, it is. It's probably Domo. <laughs> uh, Domo did that, uh, was the kind of guy who instigated it. And then because we'd been recording records, you know, spend a month hanging about in a tour bus or whatever, we were watching lots and lots of crap films. And then the last like 10 years, with the explosion of films on YouTube, really, all those films are now completely available. So there's just endless amounts of amazing, amazing Kung Fu
1: films.
3: It's
2: it's bizarrely
1: self-fulfilling because, you know, we were writing songs and, you know, just being nerdy white kids who like ninja movies and love Bruce Lee and all that kind of thing. And then we found out whenever, you know, obviously things come on a bit more with the Internet and stuff, Japanese people love those songs even though we're actually being probably extremely insensitive about aspects of the culture, they loved all that. Japanese people, (laughs) like they love Last Ninjas Unite, they love Ninja Untouchables, and then we got invited to go to Tokyo and we played two shows, and just just the reception for those songs about ninjas was unbelievable. Like, you know, uh, like people were chanting along and like going totally crazy, and there was... There was no sense of any bruised national identity or or offense being taken. We just found it really good, fun and liked that these white guys, uh, that these gaijin had written songs about this kind of thing. Um, and then off the back of that, we started writing more and more songs. <laughs> about Japanese stuff. So we wrote Judo Killer on the last album. and One of our fans from Japan, uh, Tomoe, uh she's she's on it. She does the H Nate Sanchi, which is really cool. and uh, we've got a Japanese person who's a fan of the band on it, you know. And we have a song that, that didn't make it to Bath called Nunchucks, which will be on the next album. So, you know, it's fun. It's it's fun, you know. Like S C D C have like 50 songs about rock and roll night. We have like 15 songs about ninjas. <laughs> you know. Well, wait so how how did this
3: you mentioned that like, through the internet you found out that you had Japanese fans was that like YouTube comments or like emails or what
1: what was the connection? You no know, the, the strongest place for Japanese people that we found is Twitter mm. oh, yeah okay um and that's where I tend to see it most and it was you know in the last like six years or so um so that's great you know um uh, yeah like it's pretty really mad They're, and they just I think they enjoy our commitment to the nonsense. Yeah, I think is what Japanese people like, and they love that we have a cat monster, and that we bring a monster to the shows with us. Mm. I, I in ten minutes I have to go off. I'm sorry about that, but in with ten minutes, I'm sorry.
3: All right, we'll just we'll move in as best as we can, then we'll we'll finish up with uh yeah yeah Joe, we'll finish we right. finish yeah yeah um all right so well yeah we, we we're gonna ask you like why you didn't have any ninjas on the new album, but those track came in the next album, so that's exciting. Uh, you do on the new album. Uh, talk about Egypt so you have the Egyptron song which happens with the Iron Pharaoh programmed by Anubis full of Ramsey's joke and the Egypt but the Egyptian or Egyptian mythos hasn't really been something you've talked about since 2009 with Mummy Invasion Uh, what led to the revival and interest in this this theming
1: the word Egyptron popped into my head and I was like that's good that's really good (laughs) uh, then what I always do is immediately google whatever popped into my head plus the lyrics and nothing come up. And I was like, "Free! it's free real estate, as they say. I was like, this is great. I shouted Joe, I think that I, I wrote most of the lyrics in one go, sent him to Joe, he was like, yeah, great. Then he had this uh, Radyn-y type riff. And I was like, well, this fits perfectly over that. I think more the interesting part, Joe, was how we got the Egyptian lover, the guest on it, the, the mm-hmm. hip hop uh, guy, Egyptian lover. Yeah, I'm like
2: the that kind of came with the parcel of saying right let's try and write a iron maiden type kind of power slave number and um yeah we we had been a fan of the egyptian lover for years and we knew that he like specifically dealt with egypt type stuff so we're like you know if you don't ask you don't get we just sent him a message and like that was the cool thing about it like just being able to collaborate you know philly's lyrics and his ideas and the egyptian lover's ideas in one track and they're both like they're both exactly on the same page, you know.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, and, and he's he's a legend. You know, he's his name is up there in lights at the Grammys when they did the 50 Years of Hip Hop celebration in Chips and So we, we DM'd him, we got involved. And he he brought an amazing attitude to it. Um, most heavy metal people will not know who he is, but we do and we love him. So it's very important to us that he's on there. Um but yeah, we hadn't, you're right, we hadn't posted it since Mummy Invasion. Uh, you know, growing up, like like most pale skinny boys, I had a period of being obsessed with Egypt as a kid. And then, you know, obsessed with Vikings, then obsessed with dinosaurs, obsessed with the Titanic disaster, then World War II. You know, you know how it goes. And um, I don't know, I suppose it's always in the background there. But that, that's interesting. But for this song, it was just, once the word popped into my head, I was like, it's ridiculous that this doesn't exist. It's almost like it demands to exist now because of this. <laughs> but it's a fun song I think it's a a song that's gonna hopefully it's gonna really be a statement of intent because the album starts with it and it's like nearly six minutes long and it's a rap and stuff so hopefully people get that
0: So what about the frequent references to Satanism and the occult then? Is this coming from like a similar or different place? Because you have songs like, you know, discussing devils or witchcraft, titles like 6616 or references to an engine number 666. or lines like by the goat, by Satan's beard uh, on the new track uh, materialize. So is this like this kind of discussion of like Satanism and the occult coming from like, you know, the metal space where it's very kind of a prolific theme um, or, you know, is there another reason for you drawing on this?
1: So what's your
2: take on this? I think that uh, whenever we again, when we were kids, a lot of it was influenced by stuff like *The Devil Rides Out*, Hammer horror movies, those old sort of like that kind of version of Satanism, you know. And like whenever we started writing songs, a lot of them were influenced as well by EC comics, and you saw the same mm-hmm. kind of Satanism play of that people in hoods and stuff like that. And like, uh, yeah, like that toss. That's that's kind of the. That's the incarnation of evil that we like talking about as in weird black masses and stuff instead of, you know, I don't know, from human evil, I suppose, really.
1: Yeah, And um, it, it's just one of those things that's always been a trope in rock music, isn't it, really? Um And none of us are religious, but we were all raised Catholic. So, you know, the supernatural and the theatrical and the ceremonial are big parts of that. And, you know, like that, like Satanism is a reaction to and part of Catholicism because Catholics believe in demons and Satan and the afterlife and, you know, much more than, say, Jews do. They really fucking believe in that, right? So, they're religious people, but <clears throat> we're coming from our context. So, the best version, the best and coolest version of people we know is that one that we grew up with. So, I suppose, writing songs about it, and, and you know, every rock band has songs about that kind of thing, generally speaking. And I I find it a really fun, it's basically like fancy dress. So it's, you know, fancy music about fancy dress. Hmm. Um, You know, as people who don't believe in God, we don't believe in Satan either. But like also the nonsense that there is and the imagery around the fetishism around it is good fun, I think, to write about and to write songs about. Um, It's just within that horror movie thing. It's it's it, with a song like Materialize, we, I was actually ripping off Hell Ripper, who I really like. <laughs> um uh their song Bastard Hades, I think, is an amazing tune. And I was I was copying James's chorus, oh. so don't James. Don't tell him.
3: Uh he's actually the in uh, the episode before you. Yeah. <laughs> we we've already we interviewed him. He, his episode's coming out uh just before yours, so it's it's him and then oh, you guys... well I,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna see him on Saturday. I'm interviewing him on Saturday. We're talking oh, each other yeah um a derby at this festival (laughs) how does it feel to have me stealing your ideas james (laughs) i better get back to the grind (laughs) all right take care thanks a lot cheers guys thanks so much all right well uh thanks for hanging
0: around all
3: guys differences in theming aside uh one thing that has been common in your work outside of kind of, you know, horror movies and, and things like that is, is social commentary. And it, it it appears on every single album you've made. Like back in 2006, you had songs like Racists directly critiquing not just racism, but historical fascists like Sir Oswald Mosley. And since all then, uh, your albums have had, had at least one kind of direct statement of political positioning, be it 2009's anti-BNP Mussolini Mosh, the 2018 track Alt-Reich, which produces the concluding thesis of uh, We Must Clarify, All Nazis Must Die, or tracks like Don't Get Your Hair Cut and Secular Soft in the new album, which respectively discuss a friend becoming a Thatcherite and growing hard and full of spite uh, and using a metaphorical saw to break free of what you call the prison of religious law. You mentioned pushback from using humor, but has there been any for politics or is this something that you feel is kind of more commonly found and enjoyed in Thrash?
2: No, like to be honest, it's something that we find a lot of pushback because I guess like mm. anyone, like so many bands don't, Talk about politics because they're immediately aware, especially in the United States, that you're going to alienate about fifty percent of your audience. You know, but at the same time, you know we are you know opinionated people, and you know we kind of all feel very very comfortable you know with our opinions, and we have done since since day one. You know, and I think part of that actually came from Nuclear Assault. You know, we were big fans of them, and you know they used to write socially conscious songs. You know. And that was a that was something that we were really, really kind of respectful. We knew that we didn't want to overload it, though, because there were some bands basically were if it all became political, you know, you could very, very soon just be playing for hardcore people. And that's it, you know.
3: Mm.
2: So there's a conscious
3: like um balance between the total amount of content on like an album.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in the past, there's probably been some albums where there's been more political uh, commentary and ones with less. And that's not necessarily reflective of what's happening at that time in the world. Uh, We try and do something topical, every record, if we possibly can. But, again, I guess our experience now as guys who are in our 40s compared to guys when we were in our 20s is very different, you know? What would you say is different about it? Well, I think that, like, whenever you're in your uh, 20s, you know, like, we've always been quite a, you know, left-wing band. But, like, I guess we were more about, you know, anti-fascist marches and that kind of thing. Uh, Whereas the older we got, it was more about reflecting what we saw was going on in the world around us and society instead of, you know, being, you know, a call to arms, so to speak, like, you know.
0: Hmm. Well a very different but consistent theme um, or topic of discussion that we noted um, uh, is one that we haven't seen so far in over 40 interviews, uh, which is discussions of alcohol. Um, so your lyrics to date do mention booze uh, three times, beer seven times, and drinking some kind of alcohol uh, 24 times. Uh, so this all stops the new album though, uh, where there's no mention of drinking or drug use at all, um, beyond a mention of Padre you know, chomping a stogie. Um, so what brought you to this change is this part of that uh kind of development that you were do- talking about just before um, or is this you know uh potentially related to recording during lockdowns
2: you know i guess like we did the that uh, living for the lockdown single in 2019 and like that was probably quite reflective of where we were because we were spending most of our time sitting around in our you know toilets drinking beer and stuff like that um and again, yeah, you're probably right in the sense that whenever we were younger, a lot of our time would have been spent, you know, some of the lyrics are all about sitting drinking beer and under canals and things like that. Um, Yeah, and that, that was part of being young. There's still part of our life that's like that. But, you know, funny enough, we were actually discussing, we'd been doing festivals over over the summer and stuff. And a lot of the times we were in bed by midnight, you know, <laughs> so like. Maybe we are getting older. Part of it, I guess, the some of the guys in the band have kids, you know, and like um you know, they're getting up early regardless. So but um yeah, I think you know, it's also probably something a little bit like, you know, the thing about going back to the zombies was that I think that a lot of the stuff that we really liked we had kinda covered and Mm. I think we felt a little bit like of drinking on this record because we did write you know as philly said we wrote maybe about 30 songs in total so there were some songs about drinking that didn't make it onto the album huh. and i think it was probably just because we felt we had we had so many you know so it was like it, it didn't it didn't seem like something that we really needed to revisit this quickly you know hmm. so uh,
3: are you feeling like you know as you get older beyond just kind of responsibilities etc that you you are wanting to tread like some kind of new ground, or just revisit, uh, move to move to topics that might be a little bit more fresh for you, even if it's just personally.
2: Yeah, I guess I guess that's it. You know, like because I, you know, on some of the albums, the earlier albums, there were songs that were particularly satanic or whatever about black masses, and then maybe they weren't on a few more albums, and then the last two records have had stuff like that. So I think stuff like that comes in phases. You know, so mm. I would be surprised if there was another song about drinking, you know, somewhere down somewhere down the line. And I suppose part of it is we did a cover of a song by the Pogues, or like a traditional Irish band. And like they're kind of very famous for kind of boozing and stuff like that. So maybe we felt we kind of scratched that itch with doing that this time around, you know?
3: So another feature of your albums um, is that there's always been clear smatterings of Irish and then uh, British and Irish English varieties as in lines like Loads of Crake. Uh, my pronunciation is gonna be awful here. I apologize just throughout. Uh, stitch Up Like a Kipper, What a Swizz, Too Port a Shite, You Had Your Pints, Off Your gore. Don't Give a Fig, A rackish All Boldy, uh, oiks. and references to cigarettes as fags and fags across earlier albums. Um, and then there's the Irish line, Slán go fóill me all which I believe is goodbye for now, beloved trickster on the newest album, uh, along with British spellings like uh, tire with a Y. Is this all just a consequence of, you know, that's where you're from, so that's how you write? Or is including distinct markers of these language varieties in your work something you feel is important to your band and identity and you do consciously?
2: Like, it is something we definitely do consciously. You know, I think trying to involve some form of uh, local colloquialisms or whatever is something that we've always tried to do with our lyrics. You know, even going back to the first album, we would try and include some language that was kind of nearly specific to us. There's a song on the first album called Nuke the Skeets. And Skeets is like a, a very local term from like Newry or Belfast that refers to kind of like, you know, uh, guys in tracksuits walking around with gold chains or whatever, like you know, trailer park boys type people yeah. like, or whatever. But anyway, uh, so like we've always tried to include stuff like that in our lyrics on purpose. And like, I don't think that there was ever too much of a conversation saying, will will everybody get this like maybe some people will get it maybe some people won't get it you know and there's something about that about whenever people are enjoying lyrics everybody has a totally different level of enjoyment some people it's just there beside a cool guitar riff or you know maybe they love drums or whatever you know so i think it it is totally totally dependent on case by case if if that's the kind of thing people pick up on and like about us great but you know it's more probably for our amusement than um you know what we would see as a trademark of the band
3: i'm really glad you mentioned mm-hmm. that skeets thing because i actually i was i i saw that when i was preparing this interview and i googled it to try to find out what it was and i could not find an answer it was like it was not on the internet at all i could not i was like what's yeah. a skeet and i could not like i couldn't get it and and so i was i was like oh my spouse must be a movie i don't know or something like that i thought they were like a some kind of alien species or
2: something <laughs> There's, there's one film in particular, which uh, he was here to tell you, he could probably tell you how many it's in, but there's a Mel Brooks movie called Blazing Saddles in mm. 1974. Mm-hmm. And there are lines from it, it must be in at least like seven, eight of our songs. They just somehow slip in. And I guess it's because us as guys, it's informed so much of how we talk. And, you know, whenever someone says something funny, maybe someone will reply with a line from a movie and lines from like our day to day or like, I guess, quotes from movies from our day-to-day life make it into songs very, very frequently like that, you know?
0: And uh, we also noticed that on the new album, um, the song Mask of Anarchy borrows direct from uh, the British poet uh, Percy Shelley's uh, 19, eight, uh, sorry 1819 poem of the same name, uh, an ode to nonviolent resistance and potential origin of the phrase, um, we are many, they are few. Um, can you let us in on what led you to adopt this poem for your lyrics and the process of arranging a poem with some, you know, 370 lines across 91 stanzas uh, into a song?
2: Yeah. Like so our old guitar player, Luke Graham, uh he's always been a very like politically right on kind of person. And uh he actually I think on the last record he co wrote one of the songs with uh Philly. But this time round, um he just suggested this poem to us. He said, You know, I was uh I'd been watching the Peter Liu movie and I think Philly had as well, which is about, you know, a massacre that happened in England uh over, you know, workers' rights in the eighteen hundreds. So, uh, Shelley wrote this big long stanza in a uh, in response to that, you know, because he was kind of famous for his romantic poetry and stuff, and uh, this was kind of a bit of a departure. But yeah, so uh, Philly took the whole thing, and there were some parts that were obvious, you know, the "we are many, uh, the the few" line just kind of seemed that it would work. I had sent him a demo, um, just that week, I guess, and like it just so happened that it worked really well for the for the course. So the verses it was just a case of trying to find lines that we thought really kind of we could would relate to now you know Mm because i guess some of the language from the from the poem is very much of its time you know so you Hmm. wanted stuff that sounds uh, modern yeah because i think like uh with the original poem it would be very easy to date the song to be in about that specific thing as in the peter Peter peterloo massacre you know but um, we didn't want to do that. We wanted it to be a general statement of intent, you know, uh, like, you know, and I guess like it, the best way of doing that really was to try and pick through and find the stuff that we could relate to, I don't know, what we saw is going on in the world right now and then use, use those lines, you know. And like, I guess, you know, that is, it's taking some artistic license really, isn't it? Because it's not as if he was there to say, yeah, that's fine. You can interpret <laughs> my song or form this way. If you like you know we were doing that but you know uh, i'm sure there's been worse said about him
3: <laughs> so uh, another song we wanted to ask about on the new album was um uh, speed funeral because in other interviews you mentioned um uh that the song is about uh being launched onto space on a rocket when you die um and you mentioned that it's potentially caused by the fact that you're quote middle-aged men now so maybe death is on our minds a bit more uh, we've actually talked to a few artists here who have mentioned thoughts of death as an inspiration, um, such as the singers, specifically of Psy and Fallujah. Uh, but Fallujah, sorry, I don't know why I pronounce it like that. Uh, but their approach uh, was quite different. Uh, like one mentioned the the death of his father and the other kind of viewed death as as something that unified humanity. Um, and they definitely didn't have lines like, uh, rest in speed, rev it up and let it R.I.P., no time to cry at a speed funeral, casket blast the time-space fabric. Uh, so we, we've discussed, you know, humor in general earlier, but
1: uh,
3: on songs like this, are you using humor as a way to kind of discuss or work through serious issues? Like, is there a catharsis involved in writing a track about death uh, beyond that just caused by creating humor?
2: Like, um, Domo and Philly would be big fans of, like, you know, Flann O'Brien, who's an Irish writer from the 1940s. And, like, he would frequently uh, have... Uh, bits about Irish wakes and death and stuff like that. So there was a lot of the language in the lyrics of that that we would find very common at Irish wakes, you know, like uh, some of the lines in the song would be direct quotes from things that people would say you know, he looks just like he's, sleep- he's sleeping, you know, is a line that people would say at Irish wakes you know hmm. um. so there was a lot of, that, lot of that language that kind of went in there and like part of the rest of it was that it was one of those things that whenever you're a kid, you discuss, oh, whenever I die, I want to be, you know, launched off on a rocket into space, you know, that kind of, that kind (laughs) of attitude. Um, But yeah, like, it's a topic that we just thought would be fun. And because we wanted to, like, write a really fast song, we're just thinking, like, right, okay, I want it to be about speed, something like so. Um, But it was nice, like, as I said, again, it's one of those songs that probably is a little bit more local because there's so much, you know, kind of Irish jab in the lyrics, whereas... Like some of the other songs, like would be very like materialize is like you know it's very specific, you know.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, as you've discussed at length, <laughs> you know, aside from poetry, there is a very kind of clear source of inspiration for your lyrics, which is of course film. Um, so beyond the the zombie and the ninjas that we've already discussed. Um, you also have songs like Kurt Russell uh, and Smoke, uh, Smoke the Blow with William Defoe, uh, which reference actors directly. Uh, the track We Respect You is a love letter to multiple actors and directors. Uh, songs like She's Not My Mother Todd, Shia Khan uh, and Beverly Hills Robocop uh, are obviously based around movies or movie scenes here, you know, Terminator 2, Jungle Book uh, and Robocop. And then you've got horror tracks like Evil Voices contain lines uh, like uh, Who What uh, Would Have Thought My Hand Could Do That, which appears to reference Evil Dead. Um, While we didn't note any obvious film references on the new album, um, you know, other than one we talked about earlier, um, songs like Bats uh, have a campy horror film uh, feel to them. And the album's cover art directly links to an old horror movie poster and kind of comic styles. Um, So Obviously, just asking you why isn't a very interesting question. Uh, so we wanted to um, kind of use this uh, tendency to draw on film to talk more broadly about the links between music and film. Um, so could you like, give us a sense um, of what kind of processes like of drawing on um, you know, these films for inspiration, but also kind of using music specifically as a place to kind of send up praise or reimagine film uh, as a different art form?
2: It's uh, again, it's been something that just seemed like second nature to the band, because when we all originally got together, it was one of the bonding things that we all really loved was, you know, these specific horror movies from whenever we grew up as kids, you know, and even with our album artwork and T-shirts and everything right from day one. Really, I think uh, everybody had the same experience as uh, like five year olds going to video shops and going into the horror aisle and uh, seeing all the um, different VHS covers, you know. And the way that that sort of excites your imagination, like, you're imagining how cool this film's going to be just based on the cover of it. And, like, sometimes you'll see, like, interviews with James Hetfield or whatever, where he's talking about the first Iron Maiden album, and he's saying the kind of same thing, saying, I was buying this specifically by looking at the front cover and saying, wow, this looks cool. This excites my imagination, you know. So... um. Yeah, that that's uh, from day one with the band, it's, it's always been like, I guess at the start, I would say it was our primary source of in- influence was horror movies or like uh, things like the Turtles, things that we wanted to talk about that were referential from, you know, our experiences growing up. Um, and then like, as we got older, that probably started changing a little bit. So the movies, uh, you know, tended to become more and more broad. As I said, things like Blazing Saddles or, or whatever which maybe whenever we were 20, we were probably not as interested in writing about, you know.
0: Have any of the people or artists that you referenced ever got in touch or, like, responded to the reference?
2: There was a, like, that was kind of the intent of writing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With Willem Deco, we were like, you know, maybe he'll sue us and then we can meet them in court and apologise profusely and stuff like that. We were actually watching, me and Domo, whenever we'd be recording demos, we would watch a movie or something and we'd been watching platoon and we watched watch the special features on platoon and it was Willem Dafoe was indeed talking about smoking ganja whenever they were in uh wherever it was in the Philippines making the movie. And we were just like, this is hilarious. Let's say, uh, let's write a song just uh, about what a, what a bizarre character Willem Dafoe is in our minds, you know?
3: But Has he ever reached out? Did he ever get an email from Kurt
2: Russell or anything like that or? <laughs> yeah. No, unfortunately, you know, so we we'll just keep on sending them love letters and one day maybe they'll appear at our funeral or something like that, you know. Maybe yeah, maybe they'll it's check still spawn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Well, another consistency throughout your lyrics uh is the use of swearing. Um while you don't swear on every single song, you do have swearing on most of your albums with a total of 19 fucks or fuckings, 28 shits, uh, or dipshits, which is a word we've never had appear in our data before. So congratulations. Um first band we talked to use dipshit. Uh 12 Uses of Piss, One Bitches, Two Son of a Bitch, One Damn and One Goddamn, uh, across your discography so far. Uh, what is the kind of role of swearing in your lyrics?
2: Well, like, we have a song called Guilty as Fuck, and I'm near sure that probably about 80% of them all happen in that one song, you know, because <laughs> at the end of it says, like, fuck 12 times in a row or something. I think part of it, uh, there was an influence as kids as well, grown up seeing cassettes that had parental advisory stickers on them you know because obviously mm-hmm. it was it was meant to be there to advise parents but it was also an advert to kids saying by the way there's going to be cool swearing in this so <laughs> check it out you know and that certainly whenever I was a kid that was one of the things I thought was cool about Guns N' Roses and bands like that was that they seemed kind of rude you know and um, yeah I don't know like I, it's something again we it's part of how we talk So like all those kind of swear words would be kind of used in the terminology that we would tend to use them in day to day phrases and stuff like that. So I don't think apart from that guilty as fuck song where it says fuck whatever 16 times (laughs) in the whole song, like uh, there was ever, ever any like super in like intent to use swear words to try and like, you know, get a reaction or something like that, you know. Mm
0: Well, the newest album is actually the first uh, first time we think uh, that you've used damn or goddamn uh, as swear words. So you said like the damned before, but obviously that's quite different from saying damn your eyes and working like a goddamn drop dead dog. Um, so are you aware that you avoided damn to date? Um, and is there a reason why you started to integrate it now?
2: No, not really. You know, it's just <laughs> one of, I, I would presume, you know, because that song Secular Soul is very specifically religious, you know, that, uh, you know, that's in you know, there, but um, yeah, no, I couldn't comment. I, I don't think so. Well,
3: another thing that was a bit surprising to us is actually uh, your first album, Survival of the Fastest from 2006 is completely clean. There's not a single swear word on that. Do you know why that might be? Was there like a sudden desire to include swearing that occurred between this
2: album and 2008 Citizen Brain? Yeah. God, I, I honestly can't think was there uh, was there even any other songs around that time yeah there was and there is a song uh called frightmare on hell street which was one of the songs that was written for uh citizen brain in between those two albums and i think it had swearing in it um i thought maybe there was some swearing in zombie command maybe there's not no but yeah i guess uh, around then it was probably again the whole idea whenever you Bring out your first body of songs. It's the first ten or twelve sets of lyrics that you kind of have that you're all happy with. So there probably wasn't like such a wide, like kind of wide subject matter back then, because a lot of the songs were either about heavy metal or specific movies or things of that nature. You know, um. But yeah, I, I don't. Know. I honestly couldn't say why why that became more popular on you know the next album than the first one.
3: Do you feel that there's been, you mentioned like a few times, both you and, and Philly across this interview, kind of how a lot of things grew out of you all just kind of hanging out and enjoying the same media and doing things. Was, is there a chance that like uh, between the first and second and third albums is kind of as you moved along, uh, your sort of sense of what you're all doing, it has coalesced? Like, like was the first album by chance, if you can reflect back to that, and I'm just completely spitballing on your guessing here a bit less fully kind of working as kind of like a project that re- that you're comfortable drawing on your day-to-day and producing, or is
2: that just nothing? Yeah, like I think whenever we made the first album, the like the socially conscious things like racists, that was just like, you know, where we kind of all were like, right, okay, let's write a song that's, you know, specifically anti-fascist, okay, so that's the idea. But a lot of the other stuff was either Philly or me or Luke would say, oh, here, I have a song and it should be about this idea. It's going to be about a big gigantic crab or it's going to be about, um, you know, this particular horror movie or whatever, you know, or bullet belts and like heavy metal culture. And I think that was something that was like probably more important to us back then than it is now. We wanted to write songs like Bullet Belt and Thrashaholic and stuff to try and impose the idea on our audience that, You know we were the same as them and like you know we had the same taste in music as them Mm -hmm. and that was probably the same thing as we respect it was kind of one way where we were kind of slightly being autobiographical to the audience and saying here this is all the stuff that we think is cool by the way in case in case any of you care you know
0: (laughs) well kind of building on that like what would you say in sum is the role of lyrics you know across Gamma Bomb's whole catalogue and I suppose in the extreme metal genre then more broadly
2: yeah like I think it is it's so so important um, and like there's some brilliant brilliant examples of bands in every form of extreme metal who've used lyrics brilliantly you know <clears throat> I feel really really privileged that uh, I kind of I'm proud that Gamma Bomb have always had lyrics that we find interesting and that it's always been a collaborative process and everybody's had uh, their say and like i think the most important thing about that is, like, everybody has always been on the same page no one has said actually i don't want to write a song about this well it's always been something that everybody has been interested in you know but yeah in terms of like in the wider scale of metal like it, i think it is really 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 important like and there's a number of bands who've like written fantastic lyrics and there's a number of bands out there whose lyrics like i guess to me don't mean anything but what it says really important is that heavy metal lyrics whenever you're growing up can specifically I remember whenever I I was a kid and heard In My Darkest Hour by Megadeth I thought that that was about me because whenever you're like you know being a moody 15 year old you're like oh my god that's how I feel like you know so like it I think in every single part of your life you're going to relate to lyrics totally differently depending Mm. on your experience heavy metal lyrics for every single sort of that like you know there's you know more like conscious lyrics for whenever you're older and there's you know uh, there's a I don't know I guess more like sort of angsty lyrics whenever you're younger you
3: mentioned you know uh, meaning uh in in kind of lyrics that are goofy or lyrics that are about you know revisiting a horror film but in in the musical genre is there a, a meaning to that as well in
2: a sense how do you mean sorry
3: well, you know the we we could kind have of opened this interview by talking about people that said like oh you know you can't have silly lyrics in 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 metal or whatever, uh you know silly lyrics don't are they're not deep whatever. But um, you mentioned just now that you you like it when a song has is kind of meaningful for you. Is is there meaning to be found in in kind of humor and in revisiting films in a new medium and joking about things like what's the what's the meaning that for for you that that is exists in, um. Uh, kind of play I guess uh, and and having a bit of a a laugh with with art
2: I think that like there's there's certainly like an idea with a lot of the topics that we bring to the band like something like Iron Blood, which is like a song about uh, a toy from like G.I. Joe from whenever we were kids and stuff and like a lot of the times it's us taking something that we think is cool writing lyrics that are generally around that and then like trying to apply it to music and like frequently things like that like you know, it's not self-evident in the song that, that that's what it that's what it's about. Maybe the influence is a little more a uh, bit more fucking you know, obscured. But um, yeah, I honestly, I'm I'm not sure to be honest. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure.
0: Perfectly fine. Very common. Yeah,
2: <laughs> absolutely.
3: Do. You... Do you find yourself revisiting older songs from Gamma Bomb and, and feeling like, oh, I feel different about this now than uh, when, when we wrote it? Like, it, it means something, or it hits me in a different way?
2: Yeah, like, very. there's a couple of lines in songs. Like, uh, in the song Guilty as Fuck, one of the lines is, "Uh, um, sent to the slammer, attacked by the gays. And, like, I think at the time, like, we were obviously just being like, ha-ha, because I think it was, like, based on like the movie escape from Alcatraz but if it was some sort of heavy metal prison but yet we wouldn't include a line like that in a song now just because the it's the sort of thing that like if someone takes offense to it I don't know why you would specifically put that in there to offend somebody now I suppose someone could turn around and say by the same token we're writing songs that are uh about anti-religion you know mm. But, you know, it, we feel much more comfortable making a comment about religion than we would, like, using, uh, saying, attacked by the gays or something like that. And I think that's probably more, we wrote those lyrics when we were 20. I had the same conversation with uh, Dan Liker from Nuclear Assault. Uh, like, we were having a smoke and I was like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 the song Lesbians. And he was like, well, you know, I was 19 when I wrote that song. I don't obviously hate lesbians. Like, it's just the sort of thing that you write when you're 19, you know? Hmm.
3: What about like that? I mean, even uh, beyond beyond stuff that's uh, you know about changes in perspective. Uh, what about just even like revisiting songs about zombies and you know uh, like when you write a song about zombies when you're eighteen, you go back to it uh, two decades later. Does it hit differently, or there or is there some like kind of nostalgic uh, fun that still exists for you?
2: Yeah, well, look, like, you know, I because all those songs about zombies and stuff like that specifically are about movies that like. I probably still watch those movies every couple of years, you know, so I usually get a smile whenever I read those lyrics. I'm never kind of like, luckily I'm never feeling very cringy about that. And there's some bands that I know where they're like, you know, some of their heavy metal lyrics and stuff like that, they were like kind of embarrassed by now. Cause they're like, Oh yeah. You know that like, cause I guess whenever you're writing songs about jumping into the pit and all that kind of stuff, like you're talking about doing it as a 17 year old, not as like a 41 year old look, you know, <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a very different lifestyle. Yeah, before your back goes out. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's that's all we've we've got for you. Um, so if you could leave us with uh any updates, any news, any uh things that we should let everyone know uh, about, particularly if they're listening to Gambon for the first time, if they're big fans, yeah, what should they what do they need to know?
2: Well, we have a new record coming out uh, on the tenth of November, I think it is called Bats and we've got some shows in the uk and shows in europe coming up and uh yeah we're going to be uh, on the march promoting that for the next year and then we'll be uh hopefully coming somewhere near you for some gigs i would that'd be amazing you should definitely come to australia yeah
0: particularly down here yeah please yeah. <laughs> we'd
2: love to we have talked to uh, talked to some promoters about it before and stuff so it's really about just trying to find a time scale that would work for maybe like bringing us and like Evil or someone down together you know
0: Awesome. Look forward to it. And you mentioned um,
3: you mentioned uh a, yeah. a song about nunchucks. Is there is there a new album in the moving forward at, at the moment as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. So like we're kind of uh we did like a, a bunch of work really. So I think we've like a, we've like about half a new album sort of on the go. So I, I guess Amazing. the idea would probably bring out another album twenty twenty five. Like and then and keep on keep on lugging.
0: In line with all that, like, where's the best place for everyone to kind of keep up with your releases, tour dates, all of that information?
2: Just the usual. say, Go and check out uh, Gambaum on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Stroke X, and uh, Facebook. You'll be able to get all the info there, and uh, you'll see all our tour dates on uh, Spotify and stuff anyway. So go and have a listen. There's a Newbies Guide to Gambabomb playlist on there, so it'll oh. give you all you should listen to.
0: Awesome. Okay. That's perfect. Okay.
2: Well thank you again.
3: Yeah, thanks for your time. Um please give our thanks again to Philly. Uh yeah, appreciate you hanging around and uh it was it was, it was a delight learning about uh what goes into all this. Uh I've been yeah. I'm a huge fan of your, what you guys do, so it's really cool to hear uh kind of the stories behind some of the songs that that uh the, the okay, so- to listen
2: to. okay, it's been really really insightful questions and You've obviously done like deep delves of homework, so thank you very much for your time as well.
3: We try to make sure that our questions are don't bore our audience. uh The people are asking them to, but
2: we don't always succeed. Yeah, at <laughs> <laughs> all, guys. And uh yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be over there at some stage in the na- near future. That'd be lovely. That'd be awesome.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to it. Cheers.
2: No worries, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. All right.
0: Thank you for listening to Lingua Retallica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past and present.